Will you pray with me? God, we worship you. For you are worthy of our praise. And we look to you for hope and for salvation. We have nothing good of ourselves. We pray, God, that you would do a work in our minds and in our hearts tonight that would leave lasting, eternal effects. God, we pray that you would turn our eyes to Jesus and that we would behold him for the lamb that he is. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 29. We have two main points to cover in our time together tonight. Number one, the Christ comes. And number two, the curse conquered. Number one, the Christ comes. And number two, the curse conquered. And let's begin by reading our text. John 1.29 says, The next day he, meaning John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist boldly proclaims before all of his listeners that the solution to their greatest problem has finally arrived. Now in order to understand the full meaning of the of what John just declared, we need to look at the surrounding context. In verse 19 through 28 of this chapter, we see that John the Baptist is in the wilderness and he's passionately preaching about the kingdom of God. People from all over are repenting of sins and being baptized by him. Now the Pharisees in Jerusalem hear of John's preaching and so they send some Levites and priests to check things out. When they arrive, they ask John a very specific question. Who are you? Now, they were probably expecting for him to claim to be someone important, but John does just the opposite. Instead, John responds by telling him that them that he is neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, declaring that he is the one who comes to prepare the way of the Lord. So get this, John's whole purpose in life is to prepare the people of Israel for the coming Messiah. The next day after John encounters, or John's encounter with the Levites and priests, he sees Jesus coming toward him and he utters these amazing words found in our text tonight. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now if you and I were to read those words in a news article or perhaps on social media today, they wouldn't hold very much weight. They wouldn't be very relevant to us. But these Jewish listeners would have immediately recognized them. Why? Because in Leviticus chapter 8, we learn that God ordained priests from the tribe of Levi who would intercede on behalf of the people. These priests were given the difficult responsibility of daily sacrificing lambs and other animals in order to make atonement for the sins of the people. This had to be done daily and without fail because the penalty of sin is death. However, this sacrifice was only meant to cover the sins of the people. It was never sufficient to eternally remove them. 
And when these listeners hear John say these words, it would have been incredibly relevant to them. This declaration about the lamb holds deep historic meaning to the people of Israel. They know that God requires the blood of a lamb to cover their sins, but here John claims that this lamb can actually take their sins away. The difference between covering sins and taking them away is like when you're walking out the door and you spill some coffee on a clean white shirt. You don't have time to change your clothes, so you take a sweater and you throw it on over top. The sweater didn't remove the stain, but it just temporarily covered it. In the same way, animal blood can cover our sins, but only Jesus can completely remove them. Now, it's one thing for a person to claim the ability to do something, but it's another thing for them to actually do it. So how does the lamb in verse 29 actually take away sins? Well, it can because the lamb is the son of God. Look with me at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Here we get a very clear picture or explanation of who the Lamb of God is. Starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember that phrase. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now skip down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now did you catch that? John is using word and God synonymously here to refer to Jesus. When John says that the word became flesh, he means that God became a man and this man is Jesus, the promised Messiah. Just think of the implications of that. The sovereign God of the universe, the one who literally keeps your heart beating right now, came to earth as a man. Why? Why would the king of kings step into time and space? Verse 29 makes it clear. He did it to take away our sins. You see, now that we understand that the lamb is Jesus and that Jesus is God in flesh, it brings clarity as to how he can take away sins. Follow my train of thought here. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse four, it says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Did you hear that? God says that it is impossible for the blood of an animal to remove the sins of a human heart. Why? Because the value of the animal isn't enough to pay the price of the penalty for sin. Even just one of our sins would be too much for the blood of an animal to cover. You know, when my daughter Rennie was born, my wife and I realized that we did not have a stroller to carry her in. And so whenever my wife would leave the house, she would just carry Rennie in her car seat. And I'm sure you mothers can understand how incredibly inconvenient that was. And, uh, but one day during our search for a new stroller, Asher, my son, looked up at his mom and with the most genuine heart, he said, Mom, 
I want to buy you a new stroller for Rennie with my Christmas money. (laughs) Now, as sweet as that is, Asher didn't understand that his $10 from Christmas was completely insufficient to pay the price of a stroller. No matter how willing he was to give all that he had, it would never be enough to pay the price for the stroller. So what's my point? It doesn't matter how many animal sacrifices the priests make. They will always be insufficient to pay the price of our sins. We need a sufficient sacrifice, a sacrifice that will satisfy the wrath of God forever. The temporary animal sacrifices were a foreshadow of God's sovereign plan to provide the perfect land who would remove, remove the sins of his people forever. And get this, Jesus, the son of God, he is that perfect lamb. We're gonna hear more about this on Sunday, but just listen to how Peter describes Jesus in 1 Peter 1.19. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Don't miss this. Jesus' blood is sufficient to take away our sins because he is perfect. He never sinned, not even once. He obeyed God to the fullest degree. So just think about this with me for a minute. During the last few minutes that we've been together, not one of us, even for a second, have fully kept the requirements of God's law. Not even once. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who lived 33 years on earth and he never failed. He never disobeyed a single command. He was perfect in every way possible. And yet as we'll see now, Jesus willingly took our place on the cross as the sin sacrifice before God. Jesus, the promised Messiah, took on himself the full wrath of God that you and I rightly deserve. So look with me now at point number two, the curse conquered. The curse conquered. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're only going to read a few portions of this chapter, but before we start reading, Uh, Allow me to share a few words about the context. Jesus has already been betrayed by his disciple Judas, and the Jewish leaders have wrongfully condemned Jesus as someone worthy of death. And now we see Pilate giving Jesus over to his soldiers to be killed. So starting in verse 1, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. And they arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now besides the fact that these men are mocking the very God who created them, I want us to notice something specific in the text. What do the soldiers place on Jesus' head? 
It was a crown made of thorns. Do you remember what God did in Genesis chapter three after Adam and Eve sinned? He cursed the ground because of their sin and he said, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth for you. So don't miss this. The God who declared the curse in Genesis three is the God who is bearing the curse in John 19. God is becoming the solution to the judgment that he pronounced over a thousand years earlier. And so with a crown of thorns on his head, Jesus bears the curse of God brought on by our sin. But that's not the end. He takes it a step further. So look with me at verses 16 through 25 in the same chapter. 16 through 25. The text says, he, Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill what the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. I just want us to pause and think about what's happening. Jesus, the perfect son of God, has been mocked, beaten, and nailed to a tree. He was despised and rejected by men. Jesus is experiencing unimaginable physical pain. Honestly, there are no words to explain the misery of this moment. But even though the physical pain of the cross was horrific, it pales in comparison to that which he felt when he bore the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. Listen to these astonishing words from Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Please do not miss this. God sovereignly planned and provided for the crucifixion. This was by no means a random act of mankind. It was completely purposeful. You know, there's a story in Genesis 22 about a man named Abraham and his son Isaac. And in the story, God commanded Abraham to go onto a mountain and to sacrifice his only son Isaac on an altar. Abraham obeyed God, and as he raised the knife to slaughter his son Isaac, God stopped him. He was testing Abraham to see if he would trust him. 
And after God stopped Abraham, he provided a ram to sacrifice in the place of Isaac. But get this, at the end of the story, Abraham names the mountain where all of this took place. And do you know what he named it? He named it, the Lord will provide. But wait, didn't God just give a ram to provide in the place of Isaac? Why didn't he name it the Lord has provided? Because this was a shadow of what what was what to come. The story of Abraham and Isaac was a picture of what God would one day do to his own son on a mountain called Golgotha. Only this time, God did not stop the slaughter of his own son. You see, on the cross, God the Father placed the curse for sinners on God the Son. To be cursed by God is to be damned by God. Jesus the righteous is being crushed for for the unrighteous. The Lamb of God proclaimed in John chapter 1 is now being sacrificed in John chapter 19. And unlike all of the animals, the value of this lamb is more than enough to pay the price of our sins. Why? Because he is the sinless son of God. He is the perfect, sufficient, and physical sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters, on the cross, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is love that the world has never known. On the cross, God fully conquers the curse that we deserved. Look with me at John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that, now, that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on, his, on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So when Jesus uttered the words, it is finished on the cross, he was declaring before all the world that there is nothing left to do. All that God required for salvation was fulfilled in Christ on the cross. All that we failed to do, Christ accomplished. The debt was paid and the curse was conquered. Jesus drank every drop of God's wrath. He offered full atonement to reverse the curse of a human sin. What appeared to be an utter failure in the death of this one man was actually God's display of complete and total victory. Tim Keller put it this way. On the cross, Christ wins through losing, triumphs through defeat, achieves power through weakness and service, comes to wealth via giving all away. Jesus Christ turns the values of the world upside down. This is the good news of the gospel. The cross was not a loss. It was the greatest victory of human history. So what do we do with all of this? We behold him, we believe him, and we bow before him as Lord of everything. We behold him, and we believe him, and we bow before him as Lord of everything. 
And so if you're here tonight and you've never put your faith in Jesus as the sufficient lamb of God who takes away your sin, then I plead with you to do that right now. Repent of your sin and believe in him. All of your past, present, and future sins can be washed away in his blood. So do you see the beauty of Jesus and his love for you on the cross? You can be set free from the punishment and the power of your sin right now. So I plead with you, come, behold him. He offers himself to you freely. And to you, brothers and sisters, I just want to be very honest with you for a minute. When I first came to faith, I thought that the gospel was the way in which I was to be saved, and then it was up to me for my sanctification. But I couldn't have been more wrong. You see, I need the gospel today, and I need the gospel tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day and until I see my Savior face to face. You see, Jesus conquered the punishment and the power of your sin, and he stands willing to help you in your daily fight for godliness. So to the men in the room who are easily angered by the circumstances in life, both at home or at work, you need to behold the lamb who conquers. And to the mothers here who are struggling to be patient in parenting and just want to get to the end of their day well, you should behold the lamb who conquers. Or to the one who is addicted to pornography or sexual sin and feels like they just can't stop giving in, you should behold the lamb who conquers. Or maybe you're someone here who is prone to anxiety and fear. Dear believer, you should behold the lamb who conquers. There are so many sins that we could fill in the blank with tonight. But what I want you to walk away with is this. The crucifixion of Jesus completely breaks the power of sin in your life. The crucifixion of Jesus completely breaks the power of sin in your life. And so open your eyes, dear believers, and look and behold the lamb who takes away your sins. See and savor his beauty. Marvel at the work that he has accomplished on the cross. Unless there be anyone here who thinks how can someone who's dead be a conqueror? You should come back Sunday. This lamb, he will rise. He will rise victoriously. So let's pray. Oh God, I pray that we would be a people who look and see the beauty of Jesus on the cross tonight. 
what looks like and seems like loss in the world's eyes is absolute victory in yours. God, I pray that we would see and believe in the power of the crucifixion, that Jesus' blood is enough to wash away our sins. God, I pray for, for the one here who has not truly trusted in this lamb, that right now your spirit would awaken their dead hearts and that they would believe and be changed in a moment. God, we need you and we worship you for the lamb who was crucified. May we be a people who never get over the crucifixion of our Lord, for he has fully conquered. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.